0: If you're curious about your pet, then your vet wants you to know. Welcome everyone to today's episode of Your Vet Wants You to Know. I'm joined by special guest, Dr. Megan Painter. She was on episode 17, Diet Trials, when she talked about how to do a diet trial with your allergic animal so that you could figure out whether or not they have a food allergy and if that's contributing to their allergic skin disease. Today, we're going to be talking about ears, and this is a big big topic, certainly not one that we're going to be able to cover in just one episode. So we're going to break it down into two parts for you. The first is going to be talking about the different causes of ear infections and developing an approach where we can systematically go through and figure out why the animal's getting those ear infections so they don't come back. In the second episode, we're going to talk about what your vet might do, what different diagnostics they might try, what treatments they might try, and using that system systematic approach that we talk about in this episode. So join me in welcoming today, Dr. Megan Painter. Welcome. Hey, guys. Hey, everybody. Thanks so much for listening. I am very excited to be back with Dr. Lancelotti and your vet wants you to know. And Dr. Painter, you've been pretty busy since the last time you came onto the show. You've been working on creating a course for primary care veterinarians or family vets who want to know more about how to treat allergic dogs. Can you tell us a little bit about that course? Totally. Thanks so much.
1: Yes, I um, just recently in November launched a course and community site for veterinarians who treat dogs with allergy, and it's called the allergic dog. And in there, I have an eight hour course that's race approved providing veterinarians with their continuing education credits and knowledge about how to treat and medically manage allergic skin and ear disease in dogs. So it's been very well received. Lots of veterinarians have signed up loving the Feedback that people are giving for the course, and just really proud of what's in there so that we can all advance the care of these dogs that we see each and every day. Pet owners are the listeners here, and certainly you are dealing with allergies firsthand, and so is your veterinarian. And I think that the more we can advance our knowledge about how to treat these guys, the better off everyone will be. And I'm very committed to that as a professional and as a dermatologist. So definitely encourage. You're a veterinarian to check out the course. And if you're a veterinarian, I look forward to welcoming you there and
0: learning about what we have to offer at theallergicdog.com. Yeah, this is an amazing resource for veterinarians. I mean, Dr. Painter, you are one of the most entertaining speakers that I have had <laughs> the privilege of getting to enjoy lectures from. And I would encourage anyone who has more interest in learning about how to treat allergic dogs, if you are a veterinarian listening, um, to check out allergicdog.com to see if that course would be of interest to you. So thank you very much for joining us today, Dr. Painter. Tell me a little bit about why ear infections and ear disease is so important and why you're passionate about this. Ear
1: disease is an incredibly common presentation for dogs with allergic skin and ear disease. So we see dogs with ear infections probably every day in our clinic as dermatologists and then certainly coming through urgent care and general practice, ear infections are often a presenting complaint as well. And the reason is because they hurt. Dogs are miserable when they have ear infections. This is something that absolutely causes them to have discomfort. They're up all night, their ears smell, their ears hurt them, they're yelping when you touch their ear. There's just so many quality of life problems that occur when a dog has ear disease that, you know, warrants a a a pet owner to say, gosh, I need to help my dog and bring them into the veterinarian. But then I feel like when they get there, there's so many confusing and complexing issues that are kind of all layered on top at one time. Like, why is the ear infection happening? What can we do about it? You know, which airdrop should we use? You know, how do I clean the ear? There's just so many questions that come up. And so I'm really glad that we have this opportunity in this podcast to kind of dial down to simplify some of these complicating issues that we see and to make it a little easier
0: for everybody to understand and to help these dogs feel a lot better. Absolutely. Our goal is to provide them with relief from the itch and the discomfort that they are experiencing. And certainly the owners need relief from the smell and they need to get sleep during the middle of the night because that's when the animals tend to get up and shake their heads and show how uncomfortable they are. So today we're going to be talking about a classification system that you and I learned as dermatologists during our residency that is a really helpful tool in simplifying how we approach these animals that have have ear infections. So tell our listeners a little bit about what that classification system is, and then we'll go through and talk about it in detail.
1: Great. Okay. So Dr. Lancelotti and I shared many similar mentors, and one of our mentors, Craig Griffin, is one of the geniuses of veterinary dermatology. And I believe that he actually came up with this system for understanding otitis externa. And first of all, otitis externa just refers to inflammation of the external ear canal or including the flap, which is called the pinna. And you can have infection as well when you have inflammation within the ear. So you can have just inflammation, just infection, and we'll talk all about that. But the reason that otitis externa occurs is because of this kind of classification system. So there's really four overlapping things that we need to keep track of. There are primary causes, secondary causes, perpetuating causes, and predisposing causes to ear disease in dogs. So this is the PSPP system. And keeping track of the primary, secondary, perpetuating, and predisposing causes to your dog's ear disease is going to allow you to get ahead of it instead of constantly being on that roller coaster up and down, up and down, where the infection itself doesn't fully resolve or the problem never, goes away completely, or it just seems like you're always kind of spinning your wheels and treating the same thing over and over again, but nothing ever really goes away or gets better. It's probably because there's something in the PSPP system that you're missing. And if that part is addressed, then you'll have a much better likelihood of resolving that ear infection and not just putting a little, you know, hold on the symptoms so that it doesn't get better.
0: Yeah. That's one of the things that I hear so commonly from owners is that they get really, really frustrated that the infections just keep coming Coming back, And I talked on episode two, the food allergies episode about Cookie, who is a black lab who had these recurrent ear infections and they would clear up, but then just keep coming back as soon as they were cleared up. And it wasn't until we got down into this PSPP system and figured out what are the primary causes of the infection. We're not just treating the secondary infection, but why is this actually occurring? And once we did kind of Go through step by step PSPP, we were able to diagnose her with a food allergy and keep those infections under control. That's a great example of how to not just treat the secondary infection that's there, but also work on the primary disease. So that's definitely something that people can go back and listen to on episode two if they're more interested in learning about food allergies. But Dr. Painter, do you have any particular cases that come to mind when you think about ear infections and using this system? To address what's going on? Absolutely. One of my favorite cases
1: of all time for ear disease is a dog that I saw named Diego. And this dog was adopted by these two amazing humans who saw this dog online. He was being placed up for adoption by a single mom who could not take care of him. It was him and his brother. And these people adopted this dog and its brother sight unseen. They never met the dog. They had no idea. They just knew this woman needed help and they wanted to help her and they did. So they take Diego into their home and within like six minutes realize that he has the worst ear disease that they could imagine and they couldn't touch him. He was reclusive in the home compared to his brother who did not have ear disease. He was aggressive, kind of, you know, he just didn't want anyone near him. And so they went to the primary care to establish care and to say, hey, listen, we just have these two dogs. We want you to take a look. And the primary care said, oh, my God, these are the worst ears. You have to get to a dermatologist. And they found their way to me, and I'm so glad that they did because we were able to do so much for this dog because we were able to look at primary, secondary, perpetuating, predisposing causes to his ear disease, and he really did have all four of these Issues specifically layered on top of one another to make his ears within the severe category. So when I saw Diego, I actually couldn't touch him. And it wasn't because he was aggressive. He was just very, very afraid. And his ears hurt him so much that he would essentially alligator roll. He just, you could not go near this dog. And Poor thing. it was awful. Yep. And he was a love. Right, I mean, this dog was just a love and you knew that, but his ears, if you took one look at them, you said, oh my God. And it was both sides. The actual tissues in the ear were swollen and they were red and there was horribly smelly yellow discharge and there was crusting around the ears. And you couldn't even see into that canal. It was so swollen and chronic, right? I mean, this didn't happen overnight. This dog has been suffering with this for months, if not years. Mm -hmm. He was a several-year-old dog. And so I said to the owners, these are some of the worst years I've ever seen. We're going to approach his case very systematically. And I laid out primary, secondary, perpetuating and predisposing for them and said, here's how we're going to address each of these issues for your dog. And he's doing great. You know, at this point, it's several months later, his ears are as normal as they're probably ever going to be, but he didn't require surgery, which was something I was actually quite concerned he might need from our initial examination. So we'll walk through some of the things we talked about with primary, secondary, perpetuating and predisposing causes for his ear disease and apply it to other dogs using him as an example because, you know, his case was one that I was very worried we would never really be able to help him. I was worried he'd never be comfortable again. And now in the home and outside with other dogs, his whole attitude toward life has changed because his ears feel better. And that's really all that we need as veterinarians, you know, Mm -hmm. to feel like, wow, how worth it this has been. And, you know, for the owners as well, who really just, again, adopted this dog with this issue and were nervous about whether or not they'd be able to actually help him.
0: Yeah, that's amazing to be able to see an animal come into their own personality and feel like themselves again and enjoy being around their family. That's the most important thing. And ear infections really affect the animal's ability to do that comfortably. So, I'm really excited to give owners the tools to help them figure out what's going on with their animal's ears. And for those veterinarians who are listening, I I know Dr. Painter, you talk about Diego as a case study in your online course the allergic dog correct
1: Yeah, he's part of my steroids and atopica uh, modules. So I actually have a case study. It's like a 12 page case study that you basically work through with me. So I decided to share all the emails and the photographs and the next steps and the medication decisions and the cytology and every aspect of his case is in that case study for the purpose of learning because I feel like his case in particular brings up so much about what we face with these really chronic ear cases that I thought it would be a very useful tool
0: for learning. Beautiful. So when you were talking to Diego's owners, you said you talked to them about PSPP. Let's start with primary. What did you talk to Diego's owners about? How did you explain primary causes of ear infections?
1: Okay. So the primary cause of the ear infection is why the infection is happening, This is really important because a lot of people say, my dog has an ear infection. And then that's kind of where the story ends. But they don't think that there was something that caused that ear infection. And there always is. Infections are not going to just come out of nowhere. There is a primary cause to having otitis externa, to having inflammation or infection in the ear. And examples of why inflammation can occur in the ear include environmentally driven allergy. Food allergy is a very common cause of otitis externa. We can have dogs have disorders where they're actually not creating or having a stabilization issue with their actual skin turnover, like a seborrheic type disorder, and also things like hypothyroidism and Cushing's disease, and even certain tumors of the ear can be a primary cause of otitis externa. But the most common reason for a young, otherwise healthy dog to have an ear infection is going to be some type of allergy, usually either food or environmental mentally driven or both. And so it's super important to recognize that it's the primary cause that created that infection.
0: Yeah, that's right. These primary causes, these are the ones that can create disease in a normal ear. This normal ear should not have infections. But because of these primary diseases, the ear is then in a position where these secondary infections can occur. And oftentimes that will make things worse in the ears. So really working together with your family vet or with a veterinary dermatologist to figure out the primary cause is going to go a long way towards reducing the recurrence of these secondary infections. Here in Southern California, we have something called foxtails or grass Mm -hmm. ons Those foreign bodies can actually go in the ears and get stuck in there and cause ear infections in there as well. So being able to have someone actually look in the ear canal and, and see if there's anything in there is helpful. But you are absolutely right. Allergic skin and ear disease is a very, very common cause of ear infections. So if you want more information about allergic skin disease, the first few episodes of the podcast are going to be really helpful in understanding this really challenging lifelong disease so that you can minimize the amount of ear infections that keep coming back. So that's the primary cause. What about secondary? What do we mean when we talk about a secondary cause? So secondary causes
1: are really your infection. So this is the type of infection that's present in the ear. Now, not every ear that appears to have inflammation is going to have infection. I have seen enough of actual just sterile inflammation cases of otitis externa where you do cytology, which is a swab of the ear to look at under the microscope to see what kind of cells are there. And it's just inflammatory cells, no infection type cells. But the majority of cases are going to have a secondary cause of otitis externa and that's usually some type of bacterial overgrowth or some type of yeast overgrowth, and in some cases, both. So you can have you know, a yeast infection in the right ear and a bacterial infection in the left ear. You can have yeast and bacteria in both ears, or any combination of those things is possible for dogs with otitis externa. But the secondary problem is the infection because of that primary cause. So you have food allergy, and now you have a yeast infection. And I think that link is the most important link for everybody with a dog who's facing ear disease to understand is that there's a foxtail in the ear. Therefore, you have a bacterial infection. You have food allergy. Therefore, you have yeast infection in your ear. So it's that allergy, that inflammatory process, that metabolic disorder whatever that primary cause is that's leading to that secondary infection. And I think this is why you see pets go round and round and round again, because treating just the infection or just the secondary cause is not actually going to resolve the problem because Mm -hmm. you have a primary problem that is still ongoing. And that's really the ticket is helping to understand why those infections are there in the first place.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So treating those secondary causes like bacterial and yeast infections, that is only one piece of getting this animal relief. But if you're not figuring out what the primary cause is and why that secondary infection developed in the first place, it's just a matter of time before that secondary infection comes back and you keep riding this, you know, this roller coaster of ear infections. So really important to work with your veterinarian and figure out what the primary cause is if you want to get control of these recurrent ear infections.
1: And one quick
0: little snippet about
1: Diego at this time is he has food and environmental allergy. So he's on a a specific diet. He's actually on immunotherapy. But allergy is a chronic relapsing condition. And so, yes, you've listened to episode 17 of Your Vet Wants You to Know and you know all there is to know about diet trials and you still end up having a relapse, that's normal. These things happen with allergic disease. It's a a chronic relapsing condition. You might still get some infection, but you certainly should have less if the primary disease is being managed well. And that's the whole point of what we do with medical management of allergic skin and ear disease is reducing that chance of getting these secondary
0: problems because we're treating the primary issue. Absolutely. I want to talk about our next letter in our acronym PSPP here, and that's the perpetuating factors. And these can be really frustrating. So tell our listeners a little bit about what some of the perpetuating causes of ear infections are.
1: Okay. Perpetuating causes are things that just keep you up at night. So <laughs> these are <laughs> the changes to the health of the ear that occurs because you have ear disease. So this is basically what keeps the ball rolling downhill forever and ever if you're not actually able to address them. So there are these little sticklers that basically promote infection and inflammation within the ear canal, and they prevent resolution of ear disease because you have changes itself to the ear. So the most common things that we think of in this perpetuating category are chronic inflammatory change. So Diego's example, he had horrendous ears that were swollen, hyperplastic, super red and inflamed, you know, chronic, chronic, chronic changes, those changes, one, didn't occur overnight, and two, aren't going to resolve overnight either. Those are perpetuating Mm -hmm. causes of otitis externa. Other examples are glandular hyperplasia. We can see the glands of the ear on overdrive. So you just have so much production of wax and different debris in the ear that happens as a result of glandular hyperplasia. We can see the ear canal itself become calcified. So instead of that nice soft cartilage of the external ear canal, you start to see even bone be laid down in the ear canal. Again, just trying to protect itself, but that's a perpetuating cause of ear disease that prevents us, from being able to resolve this swiftly. And things like biofilm formation, infection of the middle ear, you can see stenosis or narrowing of the canal. These are all examples of changes that are going to promote infection and inflammation within the canal. They're not primary, they're not secondary, they're not the infection type. They're things that just get in our way from resolving this infection and inflammation within the ear very readily because They basically are just changes to the health of the ear that are going to promote infection and inflammation.
0: There is so much to unpack in what you just said right there. I mean, these ears have chronic changes, and that's the thing that I think people need to understand is these perpetuating factors are there because the ear infections have been there for long enough that we're seeing changes to the anatomy and the normal functioning of the ear canal. You mentioned biofilm, and this is something I talk to pet owners about quite a bit. Biofilm is this protective slime that certain bacteria bacteria and or yeast will produce to make it more difficult for our topical therapy to actually clear infections. And so when we have biofilm, it perpetuates the infection in the ear canal because we're just not able to as effectively clear that infection with the medications that would otherwise be able to clear a, a normal infection if the biofilm wasn't there. And so these are the animals where we typically talk about putting them under anesthesia to do a deep ear cleaning and physically go in there and scrape the sides of the ear canal so that we can remove that biofilm and make our treatments more effective. You You talked about the earwax producing glands being overactive, and that's something that we will struggle with quite a bit even after infection is gone. Those earwax producing glands have been working so hard To pump out lots more earwax in an effort to fight off the infection that's there, that even after we've cleared the infection, it is so important to establish a maintenance routine for cleaning that ear until the normal ear cleaning mechanism can be restored by the animal. So, otherwise, that earwax is just going to keep building up inside of the ear canal and perpetuating the secondary infection because it's just creates a breeding ground where bacteria flourish. So all of these things need to be addressed if we're going to have successful outcomes as far as reducing the recurrence of infection and making these animals feel good.
1: And I think, you know, it's at this point that I'm sure most pet owners are like, Oh, my God. Because you go in and now you realize why it's not that easy. Just sending you home with some drops is just probably not in most cases going to be enough for the rest of your dog's life. You know, if your dog really truly has otitis externa with a primary cause that isn't being resolved it's not something that's just simple like oh yep throw some drops in no big deal and we'll be done it's a complex problem and i think just having a understanding and respect for that of how challenging this can be from a pet owner standpoint of trying to help your dog get better but also from a veterinary standpoint that there's like 20 things that we have to keep track of ear disease is a complicated problem in dogs and having everybody on the same
0: page of recognizing that is really important. Yeah, we have one more part of our classification system, and that's the predisposing factors. So what are we talking about when we're considering the predisposing factors? I love predisposing factors, because these are (laughs) risk
1: factors. Okay, so now everybody says, well, he got an ear infection because he swims. Now, if you have listened, you probably will recognize that that wasn't ever mentioned as a primary cause. So swimming is not Automatically going to set your dog up for ear infections. Swimming is a predisposing cause. So if you have, let's say, an allergic dog who swims they're at a heightened risk but not every dog who swims gets ear infections right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so similarly we can see anatomy changes so are you an english bulldog with the brachycephalic anatomy with the squished face and your ear canals are small and you know your whole head is just an anatomic change Those dogs are at increased risk. Now, of course, the majority of English bulldogs probably at some point end up having issues with their ears, but not all of them because that's a predisposing cause. So, again, these are risk factors for developing ear infections. They're not the problem, but they amplify the problem. So, having a lot of hair in your ear canal, you know, not every standard poodle with uh, lots of hair in their ear canal is going to develop ear infections, but certainly the food allergic dogs will. And it might be something that makes it harder for us to clear that ear or makes them more likely to have refractory infections or infections that are much more difficult to treat.
0: Yeah, these are things to keep an eye out for, not necessarily the things that are going to be the major causes. But if we've got an animal who is doing well and things are stable, if they go swimming or if they have more and more hairy growth in their ear, that might kind of kick off having an ear infection there. So it is something that we need to consider when we're managing these patients that have chronic ear infections. I'm not sure if we could throw more P words
1: in there to um, help us facilitate this discussion on ear disease, but truly making a list Thinking about your dog in these categories really helps us all be on the same page of what exactly is going on, how can we resolve this infection, and then also think about, gosh, if it's not getting better, you know, it helps to have this all laid out because what if the ear infection isn't going away? Well, we might have the wrong diagnosis of primary cause, or we might have a perpetuating issue that's in our way, or perhaps secondary infection is something that We just aren't using the right therapeutic for. So again, being able to think of ear disease in the system really helps us be very methodical and systematic so that we can help your dog get better as veterinarians and so that veterinarians have a system to rely on to help your
0: dog improve. And that's so important is getting a veterinarian involved so that they have an understanding of your individual animal and what your animal's underlying factors are to be able to come up with an appropriate treatment plan. And that could mean working with your family veterinarian, or if your animal is having chronic, really frustrating skin and ear disease, finding a veterinary dermatologist near you certainly would be a fantastic resource in figuring out the underlying causes and set up a long-term plan so that your animal can have long-term relief. And the link to find a veterinary dermatologist near you will be on the Your Vet Wants You to Know website under the resources tab so that you can search there. If you have a pet that has had ear infections and you want to commiserate with some other owners, you can join our Facebook group, Uh, Your Vet Wants You to Know, where we talk about what's going on with these allergic animals and kind of, you know, get support from other members of the community. You can follow us on social media as well on Facebook and Instagram. For those of you who are interested in Dr. Painter's course, that can be found at theallergicdog.com. She also has social media at The Allergic Dog on Facebook and Instagram as well. So check that out if you're interested in more information about how to treat animals with allergic skin and ear disease. I like to end each episode um, with a segment called Scratching the Itch. And this is something that is designed to highlight a product, a website, or a human interest story, something that just provides relief or makes you feel good, hence Scratching the Itch. Dr. Painter, do you have a Scratching the Itch to share with our listeners today? I sure do. So, you know, it's not every day that the veterinary dermatologist
1: is in the situation where one of their patients is going to need to be euthanized. We had a a recent situation where one of my absolutely beloved patients became very ill and end-of-life care was sought. And I just want to give a plug for uh, Lap of Love. They are a national group that helps provide in-home euthanasia services for pet owners and obviously pets in need of that type of service. And the care and respect and coordination and just all that they did for this particular family was above and beyond. And this wasn't just one time. These people do this day in, day out, and they're incredible at their job. And they're so good at the service that they provide. So all of us that have a pet, the saddest part is that they need to pass and they go to their Rainbow Bridge and wait for us. And I know that you know there's so many pets in my life that I'm excited to see again on the other side. But when we're faced with that choice, having a trusted family veterinarian or our lap of love service, I think is really something that we should give thanks for because it really truly is a humane service and just a true act of respect for all that our dogs and cats bring to our lives and what they mean to us to provide them with that humane end.
0: Yeah, I absolutely love this company. They really have done a remarkable job at providing a a service for pet owners um, to be able to say goodbye to their animals in the most comfortable surroundings as possible and to be able to provide some hospice care for these older animals as well. So I'll have a link to Lap Love in the show notes if people are interested in finding about their service and getting some more information there. Thank you so much for mentioning them, Dr. Painter. Absolutely. And when we come back for our next episode, we're going to be diving deeper into this PSPP and talking about what your veterinarian might actually do to investigate these specific causes in your pet. And that'll give you a lot more information there. So I look forward to speaking with Dr. Painter more about this topic and for you to join us. So thank you so much, Dr. Painter. You've got it. Looking forward to the next talk. <laughs> I look forward to your next visit with Your Vet Wants You to Know.